With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This week on The Big Show, two of the co-stars of the indie darling, the last black man in San Francisco, Tashina Arnold and Rob Morgan, join us for a candid discussion of this summer sleeper. Plus, we'll have movie news and reviews of this week's films, including Shaft, Late Night, The Black Godfather, The Dead Don't Die, and the aforementioned Last Black Man in San Francisco, all on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Keeping it real with Film Gordon, I am Tim Gordon here at 96.3 HD4, and that's dcradio.gov if you're listening at home. I am joined by my man, Charles Kirkland. Charles, what's going on? Hey, hey, what's happening? What the hell was that? I don't know. I tried something <laughs> what different. You, what? I, you got to surprise me. I didn't know I was coming in on the first segment. You kind of shot hey. me. <laughs> <laughs> so while, while Charles figures out what the heck is going on, man, uh, we got a good show for you today. Uh, Tashina Arnold and Rob Morgan star in a film that I saw back in January at Sundance that I'm so glad is hitting theaters this weekend. The last black man in San Francisco. Uh, we will talk with them, and it will be reviewed on today's show. In addition, uh, Wilson Morales, who normally joins us at the top of every show, is down in Miami right now. He doesn't really have time for, like, the little people back here in D.C., so he is soaking up rays down on South Beach. But we will talk about Wilson Morales, not in a negative way, while he's not here. here. No, 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 we're not going to talk about the dude, but we're going to talk about what's going on with Wilson. And in addition, there are five movies a day. That's a lot of movies. We, we, We normally review five movies, like, during award season, it's just one of those weeks. Now, next week, ironically, there's one movie. One. One. And the other irony of it is that there are five movies review- we're reviewing today, and Men in Black International ain't even one of those. So if we had that film, it would be six movies today. But you kind of get the inference. So it's going to be a very review-heavy show. So I want you guys to strap in. Uh, just lay back. Just have a lot of fun with us. It's going to be over the next hour. But before we get started, well, actually, we, we're not going to do it before we get started because we would normally we do it, it before yeah, we get started, right, before yeah. we throw it to Wilson. But since we're not throwing it to Wilson, let's just start. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> let's just start. All right. So I want to start the show off with, uh, I know it happened earlier this week, and I didn't get a chance to address it then, but the death of... Uh, founding member of the Ghetto Boys, Bushwick Bill, 
who passed away at the age of 52 earlier this week. Um, The thing that was interesting uh, in listening to tributes on the Ghetto Boys, and I guess we can say it with a lot of different seminal hip-hop groups, and specifically if we're talking about the golden era where we're talking about like the 1990s, you know, coming out of the Fifth Ward in Houston, Willie D, Mm. Scarface, you know, Bushwick (laughs) Bill. I mean, you, you laughing. The Ghetto Boys, for my money, the ones, I mean, they, they had a, a bevy of songs, right? But my mind playing tricks on me is uh, friggin' genius as a song. Uh, now, we think about the mental health space, right? And you know how so much publicity. I have a, a good friend of mine that I met uh, several years ago at a conference that I was at named Shanti Daz, who does a campaign called Silence the Shame. Okay. You know, I follow. Um, you know, I know recently Taraji P. Henson was in town last weekend, uh, also addressing Congress and doing a benefit over mental health. Mental health yeah. Now, I bring that up because if you listen to my mind playing tricks on me, funky beat, it's, it's about three dudes each telling stories that deal with paranoia. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, hallucinations. Um, when you listen to the song, and it is such an amazingly well-thought-out, well-crafted piece. And the irony, which a lot of people now know, that when they shot the album cover for that Ghetto Boys album, which was, it wasn't their debut, but it was their second album, which really blew, uh, Bushwick Bill had had an argument with his girlfriend and shot himself in the face. In the face. So in this, on the cover art, if you look at it, that's a real shot of Bushwick Bill on a stretcher with like a piece of his eye hanging down. And they called Scarface and Willie D in. As you see them holding the gurney, they snapped the shot and it made and the album made the cover. cover. That's crazy. So very troubled life. Uh, born with dwarfism. Uh, this brother coming out of Jamaica, his real birth name was Richard Stephen Shaw which a lot of people didn't know, including myself, until he passed. But Bushwick Bill, man, uh, was, was um, a, a seminal figure. He started off as a dancer in the Ghetto Boys. Because, you know, their original group, they had several other rappers before they put this crew together. Um, hey, man, I, I, there's not much more I can say about this guy other because he lived a life that, like, we knew was troubled and he was dealing yeah. with some issues. Um, but... This is this narrative to me over the last five to ten years is becoming too much. You know, we've lost Fife Dog. I mean, it's either violence that takes out a lot of rappers or it's just health, health related stuff that happens for guys. Because if you're not old as I am and you're like passing away to me, that's an issue. When we saw what happened with Fife, we see now what happened with Bushwick Bill. Um, I'm trying to think of, of rappers who perished. Uh, because health? of health concerns. I think Heavy D was another one. Who? Who? Uh, this this is Shane doing... Prodigy, Prodigy. was another one. Yeah, right. I'm yeah. just saying... So th- this narrative to me... Um, I, 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 we know that we tell people you got to take care of yourself. But every time these, these sorts of things happen, when you reach a certain age, man, these are wake-up calls that you got to go to the doctor. You got to get yourself checked out. If something doesn't feel right, check it out. Because by the time he discovered he had stage four pancreatic cancer, it was, it was, it was early this year, yeah. and he's gone. Yeah. 
So come on, man. We are, we are losing way too many soldiers in the struggle, man. Way at, too. I many. was just at the doctor this morning, and I was like, "Hey, look, Bushwick passed. I can't pass. I'm only 51. He's hey, 52. Man. Things hey. are happening. Please take care of me. It, it's it's no joke, though. You guys, we need to take care of ourselves. Men, stop, shed that uh, whatever that macho veneer. Macho veneer. Yeah, and get yeah, it, man. go see a Come doctor, on, man. Get, get, take yourself. Take care of yourself. All right, man. Now, also this week in the news, and rest in peace to uh, Bushwick Bill and prayers. Prayers out to the family. Continue to his family, man, for comfort during this difficult time. But also in the news this week, uh, another story that, I, that I'm tracking is uh, Aaron Magruder. And this, I'll just tell this as a short story. <laughs> 20 years ago, when I was working as a producer over at Magic 102.3, one of the people that I met who was working at the then Washington Post is a, a sister by the name of, um, God, what is her name? I started, I was going to give out the wrong name. Um, God, she's going to shoot me too. Well, not shoot me. She's going to be really upset <laughs> oh, with me. Oh, man, homie. Oh, God. What is her name? There, there's a Lene O'Neill Parker. Okay. All right. Lene O'Neill Parker was a columnist at the Washington Post. And it, that was the first time I ever heard of a guy named Aaron Magruder in the boondocks. This brother came out of the University of Maryland and was doing this comic strip. And at the time, I, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a TV show, but he was doing these strips. And they were pretty funny. So she was like, keep an eye on this dude. So, of course, he creates this book of all of his artwork. It becomes a show uh, called The Boondocks that ran for three seasons, and then it kind of drifted away. Well, this week, Aaron Magruder's back in the news because The Boondocks are back. And now he's bringing back the voice of Huey, who is now Oscar winner Regina (laughs) King. Look at God. See how that works. So John Witherspoon is back as Pops. Now, if you haven't watched The Boondocks and you've been under a rock, <laughs> The Boondocks is a show about two young brothers, their feisty grandfather, and a, and a collection and galaxy of characters that deal with contemporary issues in the African-American experience. So there was an R. Kelly story, which is interesting now, but he was trying to tell you back in the day about <laughs> R. Kelly. Y'all didn't listen. Uh, there's a famous episode about the itis, which I thought was funny because to this day when you talk to people who are not of the of the diaspora or of the african-american experience they call they it the no, food coma right we call it the itis, the, the itis which is short for something that we can't use that word on the air thank god thank you so the boondocks <laughs> will be <laughs> back pretty soon and before we get out of here to go to break i just wanted to also shout out uh, a person that I, you hear me say this often on the show that i've known for 20 years Miss Ava DuVernay. She's back. She is. She, well, she never left. I mean, if you've been looking I mean, at uh, Netflix the last couple of weeks and all you can see is when they see us, which they announced today has been the most watched program every day that it has been on Netflix. Think about that for a second. It's been on Netflix for two weeks. Two weeks. Every day for two weeks. The most watched show on Netflix is Ava DuVernay's When They See Us. And then... While all y'all are looking at when they see us, she reaches behind her back and pulls out season three of Queen, Queen Sugar. Queen Sugar's back. And all I can tell you, and I can't really, I, I feel bad because a lot of people haven't watched it yet. So, you know, I have what I call a seven-day rule. That if you, and I give you seven <laughs> days to watch art. Oh, so man. since we inside that window, uh, watch, the, watch the, season, the season opener of season three. Uh, and, and put a seatbelt on because it's going to be a bumpy ride this season, I, but in a very good way. 
I, 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 it's on DVR. I haven't watched it. Oh so my don't, god! Don't tell me anything. I watched about it last it night. And while we're talking about Queen shows, Queen of the South is back. Love Queen of the South. Not my jam. A lot of stuff's not your jam. It's okay. I got, I got a lot of stuff's not your jam. Hey, which is why when you sit in the big chair, you got to expand <laughs> your thinking, brother. You got to spread it out. Good. You see, you look like a Shane. You got to spread it out. Come on, Come on man. man. I ain't got time for everything. Oh, here we go, man. All right. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back on the other side, it is going to be time to talk to the fearsome twosome. It is Mr. Tashina Arnold. It is Rob Morgan. Coming up next, right here on Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. We'll be right back. At night I can't sleep, I toss and turn Candlesticks in the dark, visions of bodies being burned Four walls closing in, getting bigger I'm paranoid sleeping with my finger on the trigger My mother's always stressing I ain't living right But I ain't going out without a fight See, every time my eyes close I start sweating and blood starts coming out my nose It's somebody watching the act but I don't know who it is, so I'm watching my back. I can see them when I'm deep in the covers. When I awake, I hear a car burning rubber. He owns a black hat like I own. A black suit and a cane like my own. Some might say, take a chill beat. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to, to the show. Uh, coming up later in the show, we'll have film reviews, including The Black Godfather, so you want to stick around for that. Mm-hmm. In studio with me right now, uh, an old friend and a new friend. I want to welcome uh, Rob Morgan, yeah. the old friend, yeah. and the very beautiful and elegant Tashina Arnold. Oh, thank you. I've only been thank watching you. Tashina Arnold forever. <laughs> but anyway, they're here. we're here talking about the last, uh, I was getting ready to say the last, no, yeah, yeah, so last the last black man in San Francisco, mm. which confused me with the black godfather. So there's a lot of okay. black going on. Black going well, that's on. Good. Oh, we love we like it. Black we love it. How are both of you guys doing? Oh, we're God doing is great. great. We're doing God great. Is great. We're doing great. Pushing this film. You know, right. as actors, we're happy to push a film that we can be proud of and be, be proud to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, we have a movie that is made by a black man, told by a black man through a black man's eyes. So uh, to be a part of this film is just really rewarding because it's refreshing to see that these stories are being told now. You know what I love about Tashina? I didn't even ask the question number one yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was my segue. You know oh, no, that was good. No, I saw this film. I was at Sundance early this year, and I saw the film, and as I was sharing with Tashina uh, while we were off air, that it reminded me of the vibe of watching She's Gotta Have It the first time, that kind of nice mm-hmm. indie vibe, personal kind of intimate story. In it, um, I forget the character's name. Is it Jimmy? Jimmy. Jimmy. Whose Jimmy grandfather Jimmy. who built a house. Mm-hmm. In uh, a Victorian style house in San Francisco, lost the house but comes back and cares for the house as if he still owns it, which I thought was a really interesting premise. I also love the visuals in this film. Some of the early scenes where you see, um, is it Jimmy and Joe? Jimmy, uh, well, Montgomery is the Montgomery, okay. name. Montgomery, okay. Uh, Montgomery are together played hanging out. Played by Jonathan Matrix. Yeah. Now you play Aunt Wanda. Right. And of course, you are the shade-throwing, uh, non-supportive 
politician in the film. If I'm a, if am I correct? No. Am I non-supportive or am I? I don't know. If, are you supportive? See how there's different perspectives now. That's See? the beauty, man. All right. So, yeah. so, so, so you telling me? So you telling me your character was supportive? Yeah, I mean, I, in a lot of ways, I believe. You so. see my face? Look. Oh, I know. I, I wish see. y'all could see his and face, the, y'all. And that's the beauty of art, Tim. That's the beauty of uh-huh. somebody being able to look at it and interpret it in their own way. Because how I understood and downloaded the character is the father that instills in his son that you can possibly attain and get anything that you possibly want. Mm-hmm. Right. You're entitled to have a home, too. This world can be yours too. So I impart in his mind and in his imagination that hey, your grandfather built this hand, this house with his bare hands. Now that's me coming from the resources I have as a black man, uh, already being disenfranchised in San Francisco, already having to sell bootleg DVDs to make an honest dollar. But I make an honest dollar compared to somebody nowadays that can pay couple million dollars to lie and say that their son or daughter was on a lacrosse team so that they could get accepted into an Ivy League school. Preach. You see what I'm saying? I do. So I, I, had exactly work, I had to work from where I was at. And from where I was at was, hey man, I want my son to be able to grow up and achieve anything that he desires too. So I'm going to tell him, yo man, this is your home. Right, 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 right. Your grandfather built this with his own hands. I tell you that so your little ass could dream. Uh-huh. That's one of the that's one of the lines in the script that got omitted. And that was one of the lines that attracted me to this movie. Because mm. I felt it's very rare that we see a depiction of a black male father encouraging and inspiring his son to go out and be the best that he can be. You see what I'm saying? Compared right. to the art and images that we do get nowadays, I found this, this script and movie to be totally refreshing. So let me ask you a question. I mean, one of the big Did things. That make sense? Oh, that made perfect sense, Rob. Yeah, I mean, but everything yeah. you says makes sense. I oh, mean, because you know that's always our vibe. Tashina, <laughs> you as well. Um, I try to make sense. But I was going to ask you. You know, there's a couple of couple of things, and I want to pivot for a second. Um, in the last, I would say, two or three years, we've seen several prominent stories filmed out in the Bay. Mm. Uh, last year, um, I think at Sundance, and a lot of these films, which ironically they come through Sundance, mm. um, there was a story of uh, the brother from Hamilton, um, David Diggs and Raphael Casal, did a story um, blind spotting. Mm. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know this has been compared to blind. Yeah, spotting. so you know these these stories from the Bay. Mm. Um, you know, of course, Ryan Coogler had some elements of Black Panther in the Bay. The Bay is a pretty hot place to be. Kicks was Fruitville was, was shot in Fruitvale. Kicks mm-hmm. was all done in the Bay. Is it? And, and from what I look at it, it kind of reminds me that it's a it's a very kind of eclectic place. It almost has a personality of its own. And when you watch it, when you watch the Last Black Man in San Francisco, the city of San Francisco and what the issues that you guys are going through and you dealing with in the film almost feels like a separate character. Did you mm-hmm. did you kind of pick up that vibe when you guys were on the set and you guys were going through your sets, I mean, your scenes with these films? Well, and talk a little bit about that. Well, Rob and I laugh about it. The, when we uh, started filming it, uh, they put us up in a motel mm. <laughs> in a, a very special area called the Tenderloin. Oh, I heard ain't nothing tender in the and Tenderloin. T- <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what Dave Chappelle said. I just, I Nothing's tender in the loin. But I'm happy that 
Rob and I had that experience because it allowed us to see right. uh, San Francisco, one of the, its many pockets from the inside, and mm-hmm. to to see uh, young homelessness, not just black boys, but young white boys, young Asian girls, homeless, um, the drug infestation. It's just, it's heart-wrenching, but it was, it, it, it was yet another layer to this ever so omnipotent um, um, city. Mm. And this city, you know, I used to fly into this city from, you know, I got homesick when I was first moved to LA back in 91. So I'm a native New Yorker, born and raised, and I was missing New York. I was like, the closest thing I could get to New York was San okay. Francisco mm-hmm. because I was like, look, I love the city line. I love the skyline. I love the, you know, the people are cool. It's a little cold, you know, it's not right. a cold thing. Right. So I would fly in and fly out, but never had I experienced San Francisco on the level that I've experienced doing this film. Mm-hmm. And to really meet the people, talk to the people, talk to, you know, people that were born and raised there, they loved their city and they, um, to, to, for a person to watch their city change so rapidly um, and change not so much for the better of everyone. And, you know. Now let me jump in on that one because you're sitting in Washington, D.C. right now, which they say is the, is the quickest gentrified city. And I've lived here since 1985. Wow. And if you ask me stories of what this city looks like and people talk about it, talk about it now, mm-hmm. you know, I, get, I have a major attitude all the time. So the chocolate I, city ain't so chocolate. Oh no, anymore. it's smoking. So it's smoking now. You was here when it was Dodge City. I was here. I will, I will just share and say I was here when Georgetown won a national championship, when yeah. Lenny Byers was alive, when Rachel Edmonds was That's here, was and Marion Barry was mayor. Man. Wow. But before he yeah. got caught on tape and wow. then got reelected after right. being booted out. Got reelected right. after a whole term went by. That's but that's, that's D.C., man. You know what I mean? That was DC, back when, when they had a drug called Butt Naked Out. You know what I mean? We literally, <laughs> we literally had people streaking down the street. What? That's real. That it, is. It, that, you was it is. It is. I thought Butt Naked was a, a, oh. a fragrance, an oil, a nah. Muslim oil. <laughs> But, it might be. Yeah, but they had an oil called Back, called back in the early 80s. Because <laughs> that's when I was at. I was in Southeast at that time. Wow. Went to what Mary you, Church you know about Elementary that? School. Yeah, man. That's where I was at. And uh, But to see San Francisco <laughs> being an example <laughs> of, of the world mm-hmm. right now, I think everybody can relate to what's going on in San Francisco and right here in D.C. and in New Orleans and in Georgia. And I'd even go as far as saying in France, because I was just in France two weeks ago for Cannes, and my trip from Nice to Cannes, all I saw was construction, buildings being erected. You see what I'm saying? So I think this is a global thing, but last black man in San Francisco can put it right here in our front doorstep so that we can start having the conversations to move towards healing. Mm -hmm. Because I think communities need to start talking more after they see this movie and to basically be more proactive instead of reactive towards gentrification. So if you held your city responsible to keep your light bulbs on, to pick up the trash when they say they're going to pick up the trash, to take care of this dilapidated building that your wife and kids got to walk by, if the owner isn't going to do it, hold the city accountable so that your neighborhood is operating at a high moral attitude already. So nobody can come in and say, I'm going to make this better. They can come in and say, I'm going to be a part of it. You see what I'm saying? Right. And I think this movie can start those kind of conversations so that people won't uh, feel uh, like they're not being heard. You know what I mean? Like they're being erased. No, I got you. I totally got you. All right. 
I wanted to, to talk about the overall vibe when I heard you guys say earlier when you read this, the screenplay that uh, was given to you and you, the, the fact that there was so much African-American participation. You do realize that we're sort of kind of in a, in a space right now where there, is, there are a lot of creators who are out there putting in work. The, the Kuglers, the Duvernays, the oh, McQueens. I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of folks that are out there right now. Mm -hmm. So as, as folks who came along in the game when a lot of those opportunities didn't exist, A, how are you feeling about the current state of what's going on in Hollywood as it relates to the representation? And, and, and to Sheena, I would, add, I would ask for you that there are also more women who are, are participating in the process. So speak on those issues because I think those are the conversations that people don't really ever, in our community, we don't get a chance to ask you, but it's the mm -hmm. stuff that African-American filmmakers and journalists and writers, we're always curious about what it feels like on the inside. Mm. Well, what's happening, and I would say, what the, the one thing that's synonymous with everybody's story now the, the, is people are starting to talk more. There's mm. more dialogue, which, you know, you got the Me Too movement because now women are speaking up mm -hmm. and speaking out. They're not afraid to not say anything because in, in fear of losing a job or losing work. Um, you have, you know, a movement of black men that are tired of their, their, them being back, their backs being put up against the wall. You know, somebody keeps pushing you, pushing you, pushing you, push you. All you can do is push back. So now there's a lot of pushback going on. And the pushback is for better change. And, I, you know, nothing is constant but change. And, right. and I, as long as things are changing for the better, as long as we keep dialogue open, as long as we keep expressing our, our, our fears, our, our wants, our desires, and allowing uh, ourselves and our voices to be heard, we'll see more films. You know, we, I, I was talking to Rob about, you know, it's wonderful to have companies like A24 and Plan B, you know, give uh, a black man a platform to finally tell his own story. You know, Spike's been doing it a long time. Right. Like, this is not anything that's new, but we want to make sure that we continue on this path. We need more of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I want more. I, I, I'm, I'm happy that things are changing, but it ain't over. Mm. We got a long way to go. Amen. We got a long way to go. Amen. I feel her 1,000% just looking at this project alone. Tashina Arnold is a phenomenal actress. She is indeed. And from, he's ripping it in this film. Rob, from comedic to dramatic, from comedic to dramatic, mm -hmm. right? And I, to answer your question, I, I am appreciative that we are getting a little more shine, but I, I think that it could always be more because this young lady shouldn't have to like go out and fight for a role that is naturally right in her body to play. You see what I'm saying? Right so, in her wheelhouse. Right in her mm -hmm. wheelhouse, exactly. And I, and, and I think, uh, if anything, the producers need to broaden the actors and actresses that they're using. I think we kind of go with the same ones over and over and over and over again <laughs> compared to giving like a Tashina or myself an opportunity to come in and play and have fun. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and I think the, the, the playing field can open up even broader with our own writers, the people that write for us who, who look a lot like us. But oftentimes the script that I get from people that look like us is the same typical ass story. It's the same deadbeat situation. It's the same, oh God, woe is me. You see what I'm saying? And we need to broaden our own idea of who we are as we contribute to the world. 
You see what I'm saying? And start putting that in our pens and standing on it. You know what I mean? Because I really feel like if it, like, yeah, I'm glad Joe did this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe was the white part of this relationship and Jimmy was, was Jimmy Fell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm curious if a brother was to come with the same story and try to get it made, would it be received? Would it be looked at as, oh, you know what? That's not thug enough. You don't have enough guns in it. We're not saying nigga enough. Are we still there, though? Oh, my God. Oh, you know what's happened in the industry is you have a lot of people that are in in positions of power that are not creative. You got numbers, guys. You got corporate America that's making creative decisions. So we got to keep the fight is always. You know, the fight continues. But, you know, we're fighting a good fight. Mm-hmm. And that's what matters. Uh, you know, we fighting, but we fight a good fight, and we're living to see another day. And I want my daughter, by the time she's ready to do this full mm-hmm. on, I want it to be a little easier for mm-hmm. her so she can understand everybody that paved the road ahead of her. Um, and now she can carry on the torch and pass it on. And, you know, each one teach one. So, you know, it's just, it's, this is what life is, you and know. even we're, talking to Joe about some of the things they actually wanted him to cut from this movie. Yeah. It'll blow your mind. Man. And I'm glad he stood on it and fought for it and allowed the world to be able to see it. You see what I'm saying? These are people that's behind the movie. But I think a lot of this is unconscious behavior now. Mm-hmm. It's so regular. It's so normal mm-hmm. to disenfranchise and dehumanize a group of people. Man. It's okay. It's accepted. It's even going on in the damn White House. So how is it not going to trickle down into our heart? You see what I'm saying? And we need more mindful people in positions to be like, look, man, we got to balance this out. Mm-hmm. You know, this is getting boring. It's getting tired. You refuse know? to be dumbed down. Yeah. We got a dummy in the White House and refuse to be dumbed down. All right. Okay, and on that note, I'm going to wrap y'all up because, you know, I don't want bad stuff to happen to me. Don't go anywhere. Uh, We're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back on the other side. We have more from Keeping It Real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Tashina Arnold, and you are listening to The Big Show, Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. A real gangster type player plays his cards right. A real gangster type player never runs his mouth. Cause real gangsterized players don't start fights. And brothers always got a high cap. Showing all his boys how we shot him. But real gangster type players don't flex that. Cause real gangster like players know they got him. Now everything is cool in the mind of a gangster. Cause gangsterized players think deep. 65 yo, 24 seconds. Real gangster type players don't sleep. And all I gotta say to you, wanna be, gonna be Gucci. Hey, welcome back to the show. Coming up in this segment, we will be talking movies. There are five of them today. We will get to those momentarily. Charles Kirkland will join me uh, for some feedback. He he understands the rules. He knows that this is normally a film Gordon territory but today we're going to invite him in to partake move all around you know the stuff that we do but before we get to our movie reviews as i told you at the top of the show wilson morales uh is down at the american black film festival down in south beach this weekend and the reason he is there or one of the reasons i should say that he is there is that he will be moderating a panel this saturday afternoon if you're in the streets of south beach and you want to stop through ABFF. His panel is called The Art of Directing, 
and it will bring together four directors who had hit films last year, and those four are Malcolm D. Lee, who directed Night School, Stephen Capel Jr., who took over the reins for Creed II, George Tillman, The Hate You Give, and last but not least, my man Boots, Boots Riley. I'm sorry to bother you. So, uh, having talked to all four of these brothers at various points, man, over last year and throughout my career, Wilson's going to have a lot of fun <laughs> next week. He's going to have a lot of fun. Not next week. He's going to have a lot of fun this week doing that. So, if you're at ABFF, as I said, this Saturday afternoon from 1 to 2.30, check out our show correspondent, my brother and uh, fellow film film critic in arms, the Wilson Morales from BlackFilm.com. Check him out. All right, there are five movies this week, and as a rule, we generally review these movies later in the show. I ain't got five movies. I can't get five movies into a segment, so we're going to stretch it into two today. And as I tell you guys every week, uh, this segment is brought to you by TheFilmGordon.com. Experience life through the eyes of a true film addict. And if you have to ask yourself who that is, you haven't listened to this show long enough. But before we get into those five movies, let's cue the music. First up this week is a movie that uh, I called Charles Kirkland the following morning after I saw this movie and just could not stop talking about The Black Godfather. And this film is a Netflix film that uh, tells the story of the life and legacy of Clarence Avon, a man who... I don't even know what we would call him. What title does this man have other than he is a supreme kingmaker? The story follows from 1959 to present day, which shows, well, it shows a lot. I'm not, I'm not going to review it yet. It shows all that. Let's listen to a clip from Netflix, the black Godfather. I would hear about people that were in very serious situations when it came to life. And they would say, the only person that can help you with this is Clarence Avon. Clarence is the bridge from a time where there was no opportunity to a time where doors began to open. All righty. Um, man, I, I don't know what to say. I, in, in turn, I don't want to ruin the experience, but I just want to explain to you the easiest way I can say it is that I watched this movie and I swear for the first ha- half hour of the film, the film is two hours long. For the first half hour, we kept hearing this story of this man who lived this amazing life and they kept showing pictures of him when he was younger. And it almost felt like it was a mockumentary and they were like creating a character and they were like superimposing somebody's face over this character. And then maybe. 30 minutes into it, you go, no, this is actually a real story of a man who came from Climax, North Carolina. He was born in Greensboro, North Carolina, but he was raised in Climax, North Carolina, comes to New Jersey, is managing a club, and has a fortuitous 
argument one night, or should I say a firm discussion with Dinah Washington, her manager, Joseph P. Glazer, which I'll explain to you in a second who he is, overhears the conversation and says, you should be a manager and agent, to which uh, Clarence Avant was like, what are you talking about? The next thing you know, Avant is, is taken under the wings by Joseph P. Glazer, who was a mob-connected attorney who also represented Al Capone and helped instruct Clarence Avant and also gave him his backing, which allowed him to move into worlds that in 1950, no black man was moving in. In 1960 or 70, no black man was moving in. So this story is of a man who was handpicked he was he was he studied under the the seat of a man who was connected, and then in turn used the power that he learned and the leverage that he had in order to open doors for everybody in the world of sports, entertainment, politics, music, film. So along the way, you've got a, a documentary that has two sitting or two American presidents. And a third when he helped in Jimmy Carter, uh, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama on screen. He helps out Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, and um, Henry Aaron. He, he, he works with everybody in the music industry. You know, he, his best, one of his best friends is Quincy Jones, but Bill Withers was on his label. I mean, there are so many people. I don't even have enough time to go through all the people that Clarence Avant literally worked with and touched Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, LA and Babyface, Diddy, Pharrell, Snoop is in the documentary, Jamie Foxx. It's just mind numbing that here's a man who has lived his life. I don't want to use the phrase in the shadows because that sounds kind of sinister, but I'm saying he has lived behind the scenes and his job is to always make sure that he moves black culture forward. And if he sees you and he thinks that you are a part of the culture, and please, Claren Avon, if you listen to the show, I'm a part of the culture. I can use your help. <laughs> this man, this is an amazing story. If you have not had an opportunity to watch The Black Godfather, you are missing out in a major way. Um, I think it kind of goes without saying that I gave this uh, film an A+. But before I get out of here, there's one story from The Black Godfather, which I think illustrates it at all. Uh, there's an interview that's done uh, where um, there's an interview that's done uh, with a young lawyer who talks about in 1982 working on E.T. and how Michael Jackson at the time was, was with Sony or CBS and how Steven Spielberg and Quincy Jones got Michael Jackson to record an audio book for E.T., Jackson did it without permission, which in turn infuriated the bosses at CBS who sued Universal and they sued everybody. So there's a huge meeting in a conference room with Steven Spielberg's representatives, Quincy Jones' representative, Michael Jackson's representatives, the lawyers from Universal, the lawyers from Sony. Everybody's in this room and Clarence Avant's in the room. And the guy goes... Why oh, is Clarence Avon's in the room? Who is this guy? And what's he doing in the room? Who does he represent? And the guy said, without missing the beat, he said, who does Clarence represent? Everybody in this room. That's, ladies and gentlemen, who Clarence Avon 
the black godfather is. So one of the best documentaries probably for me since Amazing Grace when I reviewed that last November this is fantastic. I got up with a bounce in my step, man. Could not. I, I, I think I'm not living my life enough if Clarence Avon is able to do all that. Man, I got to step my game up. So please check out The Black Godfather is on Netflix right now. Our next film is from the auteur, Jim Jarmusch. It's simply called The Dead Don't Die. And The Dead Don't Die, of course, is a zombie comedy written and directed by Jim Jarmusch. And it features an ensemble cast of an amazing ensemble cast, which includes Oscar nominee Adam Driver, Bill Murray, Selena Gomez, Chloe Sevigny, Steve Buscemi, Austin Butler, The RZA, Tilda Swinton, Tom Waits, Danny Glover, and on and on it goes. Uh, this. Let's just listen to a clip first from the dead. Don't die, guys. Shouldn't we be telling each other that it's all gonna be okay? That this will all go away like a bad dream, Ronnie? Gee, Mindy, I'm not sure I can say that. Cliff, please. It's all going to be okay, Mindy. Maybe it'll all just go away like a bad dream. I doubt it. All right. Jim Jarmusch, I will just start by saying, is an acquired taste, right? Years ago, I was at uh, the Pan-African Film Festival, and the opening night film was a film called Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, which tells the story of a quiet samurai played by Forrest Whitaker. And um, I forget the the gentleman's name uh, that he interacts with who runs kind of an ice cream truck who spoke no English. And him and Whitaker, the way Jarmusch's kind of uh, banter works is that the two of them would look at each other and Whitaker would, would say a certain thing to him knowing he couldn't understand it. And almost in like... Next sentence, the guy would speak it back to him in his language and they would run the subtitles and it was like they were able to communicate. I say that to say that Jarmusch has a certain comic sensibility that you got to know going in when you see the dead don't die. The thing that's interesting about this film is that it's a zombie film. Adam Driver, who, you know, who really kind of flashed in Black Klansman last year. Him and Bill Murray are partners in this small little town of Centerville where this zombie outbreak is happening, right? And the thing that's interesting about it is that the longer you watch this film, you feel like Adam Driver, who constantly tells Bill Murray, you know, I don't think this thing's going to end well. And he he keeps saying it over and over. And then there's a key scene later in the film where Bill Murray goes, you keep saying this thing's not going to work out? He's like, how do you know? He's like, it was in the script, <laughs> which in turn made everybody laugh. So the film is kind of tongue in, like not just tongue in cheek, but tongue way in cheek. That is shot and done in a way that I think is highly effective. Now the ending, I wasn't really down with that, but I think what they put on screen that they made like a combi, uh, a comedy. I was gonna say a combi movie, like a comedy zombie movie. I thought it was quite effective. Is it worth your big dollars at the cinema? To be perfectly honest, no. 
I would wait. I'm just being real. I would wait. It's going to stream somewhere, but but to pay fourteen fifty, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. I like Jarmusch. I wait for Jarmusch's films to come on cable if they don't let me go to the screening. Matinee? Matinee? Matinee may work, yeah. Okay, matinee. Full price? No, no. We don't want full price on that. Uh, I gave her the dead don't die. Hey, the show is called Keeping It Real. If you, if you didn't see that coming, come on. Um, I gave this movie a C+. Um, I thought it was funny. I didn't think it was like, ha-ha funny. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> matinee. Uh, we're going to take a break right now and we're going to come back and I got three more films for you. Not three more. Three more films three more. for you. Three more. You guys are listening to the big show here at 96.3 HD4 and that's dcradio.gov. Keep it where you got it. Stay where you are. Three more coming your way. See, most of my life I never had this. I felt like an outcast treated like a misfit. Damn near didn't make it on my day of birth Thinking was I really supposed to be on this planet Earth I take a deep breath and then another follows Cause hardship is kinda hard to swallow See it's rough being a loner Not knowing any given day and time I could wind up a goner Some people got it bad from Jump Street And being short is just another strike against me I used to get funny looks cause I was small And trying to make it like running to a brick wall Given the odds I was up against bro Alright, welcome back to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon I am Tim Gordon and I am back with three more films this week And first up is a darling from the Sundance Film Festival that I saw early this year And of course it is the last black man in San Francisco Written, directed, and produced by Joe Talbert, which is his directorial debut based on a story by Jimmy Falls and Talbert. Uh, This film stars uh, those two as well as Danny Glover, Jonathan Majors, Tashina Arnold, Rob Morgan, Mike Epps, Finn Whitlock, and Thora Birch. The film tells the story of the efforts of an African-American man, Jimmy, to reclaim his childhood home uh, in the Fillmore District, which was built by his grandfather. Let's take a listen to a clip from The Last Black Man in San Francisco. We built these ships, dredged these canals. In the San Francisco, they never knew existed. This is our home. stick together now this film when I saw it initially reminded me a lot in vibe of Spike Lee's directorial debut She's Gotta Have It kind of a small intimate story Uh, but also it's much more Um, in the last several years we've had uh, probably a, a group of films that have spotlighted different elements of the Bay of Oakland you know blind spotting Uh, You know, even in Black Panther when they had a scene of Oakland in there. Um, So Oakland uh, is kind of really ripe and hot. Lots of styles and lots of aesthetics. And this film features all of those and then some. It's a beautiful yet small, intimate story, as I said, of a man 
who has lost his his family home built by his grandfather. And despite the fact that there are people living in it, he still cares for the home because he feels like it's a part of him. It's his own. And the the issue of gentrification, which pervades the film, the issue of identity, the issue of friendship. Uh, there are really winning performances by both Talbert and uh, Jimmy Falls, as well as great supporting work by the plethora of characters. You've heard two of them on our show today, Tashina Arnold and Rob Morgan, but Michael, Mike Epps is really solid in this film as well. It is a wonderful film that has a lot of heart that I think is, you know, in a year where I thought Sundance didn't have a slam dunk like super film, this is one of the films in the group that's a very good film that I think will find an audience. Now, earlier you heard me asking a question about Full Price versus Matinee. Go out and support this film. The Last Black Man in San Francisco is a beautiful story that I think you will have a wonderful post-film discussion around the performances, the issues of this film. I gave this film a B plus. I really like The Last Black Man in San Francisco a lot. So go out and check out this work. All right, and next up for us is yet another film from the Sundance Film Festival that debuted early this year. And that film, of course, was one that sold for $13 million, and it was called Late Night. Uh, this film is a comedy drama directed by Nisha Ganatra from a screenplay from Mindy Kalick. It stars Kalick along with Emma Thompson, Max Casella, Hugh Dancy, John Lithgow, Dennis O'Hare, Reed Scott, and Amy Ryan. And it tells the story of a late night talk show host played by Thompson who teams up with one of her new staff writers played by Kaling in an effort in an attempt to save her show. And let's listen to a clip from late night. So you went to our parents parent company in order to make this interview. Yep. And you have no experience in comedy? No, no, I'm obsessed with comedy. No, I've seen every episode of the show. I've read every book written about it. I do a little stand up. Where? If you have a problem, ask a chemist. She'll always have the solution. <laughs> Which kills with people who know about chemistry. And I'm actually emceeing a benefit in the city pretty soon. It's kind of cool. Uh, cancer isn't funny. A night of comedy in support of lung cancer. Jesus Christ. All right, this film that uh, I did not see at Sundance, but I missed it. I was anxious to see it because I heard of the buzz uh, while it was there. Um, I was going to say I was mildly surprised, but I'm not. I mean, you've got amazing performers in this film. Emma Thompson gives a performance that uh, if they wanted to push it later in this year, I think that she would have a legitimate shot as an underdog for an Academy Award performance. She's really good in this film as a female talk show host, kind of in a reality space, along with the other host who has an all white writing staff. And as her show has been losing in ratings for multiple years in an attempt to shake it up, they uh, bring a young woman in who has absolutely no experience. I think she works in a chemical plant or factory. And they bring her in because she has a fresh perspective. And she affects the host of the show, Emma Thompson, in a way that changes the trajectory of not just the show, but of their lives as well. There is a lot of material in this in this film that I think really works well. Uh, we talk about the white gaze and we talk about white privilege and all of that is on display in here. 
as we see how this writing staff treats Kaylin in this in her role before they begin to respect her and understand what her contributions is. Uh, there's kind of a, a subplot where, you know, one of the characters has is some infidelity and how that's dealt with in the media space. Late night is a lot of fun. I found now I talked to people who said they, the movie had lots of holes. What movie doesn't? Uh, but for the most part, I thought it was solid entertainment. I would give Late Night a B. I thought Late Night was pretty solid. Um, as I said, anchored by a uh, performance from Emma Thompson as well as Mindy Kaling, who I think is really good. John Lithgow in a limited amount of work, I, work I think is is uh, very solid as well. It's a good peek behind the curtain of how media works in this country. And I think they really did an amazing job with this. Kudos to Late Night. Really, really solid film. All righty. That brings us to the last film of the weekend. The film that Charles Kirkland can't wait to hear a review of. Yeah. And of course, this is the fifth film in the Shaft franchise, simply entitled Shaft. Directed by Tim Story. From a screenplay written by Blackish's Kenya Barris and Alex Barrow, Shaft. This fifth version, I keep saying this fifth version, or should I call it just Shav 2019, stars Samuel L. Jackson, Jesse Usher from Survivor's Remorse, and Richard Roundtree along with Regina King. Now, the film tells the story of a young, a character they call J.J., who is like the grandson of Richard Roundtree and the son of Samuel L. Jackson, who is now an FBI, well, actually, he works in the FBI, but he's kind of a security analyst, and um, how he gets caught up in a case where he brings his father, John Schaff, in. I, I'm, I'm getting confused on which Schaff is, which we keep calling him John Schaff. So John Schaff the second Samuel L. Jackson in because, one, because a buddy of his uh, is has found dead, so he right. investigates this case. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this after we listen to this clip. Hi, I'm I'm just I'm I'm looking for Chef. Mm-hmm. Who's asking? John Chef Jr. Your son. My son? Junior? Yeah. Ignore him. He thinks he's a black James Bond. That dude was real. He think he was me. Alrighty. Um man, let's just be real honest about this. I looked at the trailer. Charles knows this. Shane knows it. Everybody knows it. I was not a fan of the concept of them treating a character that I think is iconic and making it a comedy because there was nothing funny about uh, the, 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 the black private dick who was a sex machine to all the chicks. He's a bad about? mother. Shaft. Shaft. So there was nothing funny about this. Richard Roundtree plays this character in 1971, kind of low-key. He is respected by everyone, but he doesn't really start anything until you bring it to Shaft, and Shaft will end it. His fashions were on point. His politics were on point. He's fighting the man. That's the essence of the 1971 original written by Ernest Tidy, Tidywell. Uh, yeah, I think that's how his name is pronounced. Um, that's the essence of what this character is. Samuel L. Jackson in 2000 comes in with the fourth version of this story, and he's like a bull in a china shop. He's loud. You know, he runs around. He's beating people down. 
to me, not the essence of who this character is. And then Jesse Usher, they bring in his comedy relief because he's kind of like so nerdish and like he's been raised by his mom. So he's kind of pampered and privileged. So he doesn't really even understand any of this stuff. You take all these elements together and Usher brings the comedic element into this story that for me, I had problems with a, of course you shot this movie in Atlanta. You tried to make it look like New York. So the New York of current day looks like the New York of like the eighties, which made no sense to me. They played music in the story from like the eighties and the nineties, which was supposed to represent this period. So it was like those elements of the story were all over the place. But after its story settles down and they sort of kind of get into it, the story, I think Kenya Barris co-wrote it starts to work pretty well. Um, Bringing Richard Roundtree into the story at the end, eh, it could take it or leave it. I, I didn't necessarily need Richard Roundtree, but I guess we had to have a moment where we see all the shafts walking together, dressed alike. Eh. Again, not the biggest fan of the shaft franchise. I'm going with a C. Now, what I will say, and I will say it emphatically, this version of Shaft, the 2019 one, is way better than last summer's Superfly. That they tried to revive that. Ooh, that was pretty bad. Keeping it real. Don't even watch that on streaming services. There's nothing there except a, a, a permed hair priest in 2018. Not, not a good look at all. This is light years better than that. And by the way, before I get out of here, uh, Regina Hall, I think she's great. Um, kind of creepy that she's like 22 years younger than Sam Jackson. More, they look more like father daughter than like, but Hey, that's just me. I'm just keeping it real. Uh, a C for shaft and, uh, Charles is crushed. You know, he, he was waiting for me to crush it. I'm like, I gave it a C. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I, because at one point you said it was terrible. And then another point you said it was good. So I, I guess would it say, come on, man. To a C. Okay. Quickly. Do you guys remember uh, the Chris Rock film, um, I Think I Love My Wife? Yes. Okay. Do you remember there's a scene in there when Kerry Washington invites him to Baltimore to... Uh, no, I'm sorry. She invites him to New York or somebody. No, she, she invites him to D.C. D.C. To come and get her stuff. And they show up in the D.C., which if you live here, you know, like, it's that's in DC. Baltimore. And that's not D.C. So, like, so that's kind of how I felt watching Shaft because they were trying to do New York. Just shoot it in New York. Like, like what? But they, then they couldn't play the Made in Georgia at the end. Oh, my <laughs> God, man. A C for Shaft. <laughs> Music off. Locations off. Fashion's off. Off. It's just off, right? But a good story from Kenyon Barris. Barris did his thing. Tim Story. Come on, bro. You know better than this. All right, that's all I got this week. And on behalf of our super producer, the Shane Lewis, the man who's younger than 30, looks old as me. Dang. Yes, I got jokes. Uh, Also, the most selfish man in radio, our associate producer and show contributor, the Charles Kirkland. On behalf of both of them, as well as Rob Morgan and Sheena Arnold and Wilson Morales, uh, that's all I got for you guys this week. And as I tell you in closing every week, please see something good at the movies. Despite what I said, you're probably going to see Shaft anyway. And that's what you're going to get. Until next week, I'm out. (laughs) I'll see you guys on the other side. Take care.
let's talk about love Is it anything and everything you want for? I do not feel it on you I do not feel it on you With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.